What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by TCU coach Jim Schlossnagel. Before we get to that, all of that, though, I want to let you know that the Baseball America College Podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, uh, we are here. We are recording. It is Monday, October 26th, and, and I say this. Uh, explicitly because you guys might know how the World Series ends when you're listening to this. Joe and I and uh, our guest, Jim Schlossnagel, we did not when we were recording this. Uh, so we, we talk a little bit about about the World Series with uh, in the interview with Coach Schlossnagel because he was able to be at Game 1. Uh, their World Series being held in Arlington, of course, TCU, not not too far away. He went with his kids. Uh, we talk a little bit about that experience, but the the World Series overall has been a lot of really great baseball, exciting games, and you know we'll see if it ends tonight or not. But Joe, it's uh, it's it's truly been a, a fall classic. Indeed, can't ask for a whole lot more. It was you know arguably the two best teams in baseball and two well-run organizations. It's you know the 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 Rays with kind of their their the their brains and doing it the way they do it and the Dodgers with all the talent they have and they've been on the cusp for so long. So you, as a baseball fan, you really can't ask for, for too much more. Apparently some people can ask for more though, because we, we have also reached, I'm sure you've seen this on, on Twitter as well. We have reached the point of the world series though, where the old school ball riders are all kind of uh, looking for day world series games and talking about how, how great that would be. And I just, I have a different gripe with the World Series games is that now that I live on the East East Coast, I now truly understand why people complain about how late things start over here. I, I, I totally get that now. I underestimated the degree to which that was a, a real problem logistically when you live on, on the East Coast. But I, I don't necessarily understand uh, why there seems to be so much uh, interest in having World Series games start at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. or what have you. I mean, I guess it's a kind of a do it for the children kind of thing, but beyond that, I'm not really sure why that seems to pick up, pick up steam every October as an idea. Yeah. Count me completely out on that. Um, There was also a lot of griping earlier this summer when MLB released a schedule that was just about like almost entirely night games. And people are like, well, why can't we mix in some day games here in this year? You know, everyone's at home. Like, you don't really have to give people 
a chance to get home to watch the game like why can't we just have some day games and like I mean I get it like when I'm at home like I generally have sports on in the background but like I don't want you know that drama I don't I don't need that like around the time I'm like trying to cook dinner like cooking dinner while the World Series is going into the seventh inning or whatever like I I don't know I don't get it and the one year in Omaha recently where they had a you know a, a championship game during the day of course was uh, 2016 when Coastal won because uh, there was that extra day and that's how it just fit better into the fit best into the schedule of course two years later when Oregon State won on a Thursday again they they had to give they had to take an extra day because of whether that was a night game. So I don't know if they learned their lessons from 2016 or what, but that game just always felt kind of weird uh, with Coastal winning. It was the middle of the day. There weren't really fans in the stands to a large degree, certainly not to the degree that you would expect for a, a championship game. Um, so, yeah, I don't – I didn't need to see that again necessarily – uh, but I, in general, don't really like the day game. That the whole flow of the day, and and this is totally just a selfish like perspective from how my day flows. I don't like how the day flows if it's a day game. I like the familiar flow of a night game. Uh, but yeah, I, I I definitely something has to be done. I don't know if it's an earlier start time or pace of play or both or whatever. But the the games do end awful late. Um, really no matter where you are, I guess out West, you know, if you're on the West coast, not so late, but you know, even in the central time zone, these games are ended pretty late, I would say. Yeah. I mean, uh, my childhood living in the central time zone was littered, even at an age when it was okay for me to be staying up, you know, as late as these games go, was littered with examples of me falling asleep on the couch, trying to finish watching some extra inning game or playoff baseball, basketball, whatever game that uh, I just couldn't, couldn't make it for. So I, I, you know, the, the West Coast is kind of the, the outlier there, and I find that's a very polarizing discussion when you talk to people about what is it like being a sports fan on the West Coast because I think half the people will tell you it's fabulous because you don't have to worry about the super late starts and, you know, being up really, really late just to get to the end of a game. And I think some people, especially NFL fans, like the fact that you kind of just wake up, roll out of bed, and have NFL games on Sunday or college football games on Saturday, as it were. On the other hand, I now I've never lived out there. I've only been out there for little pockets of time, but I think I'd find it more weird than anything else that, you know, you, you finish work at, let's say you have a traditional job and you, you get off at four or five in the afternoon and the games on the East coast are already starting. That would be, I think that would be weird. And I also don't care for the fact that I, I like to, as much as I'm complaining about having the super late starts, I do like having games that go, that end after 10 PM. Like I like to be able to go to bed and kind of doze off with a game on or just finish a game and go straight to bed or, or what have you. And the West coast, you never really get that. I remember being in Arizona for opening weekend last year and you know, the NBA is going on. Cause remember at the time <laughs> things weren't shut down yet, but they were just, a, you know, just about to in about a month. But I remember, you know, NBA season is, is right in the, in the thick of it. And the NHL season is right in the thick of it. And, you know, I back at the hotel at the end of the night and, writing working on writing some stuff and like you you know you put sports on in the background and everything is over and it's just kind of a weird way to to live that all the sports is over by 10 o'clock at night or so and I think that was as weird as anything else so I don't I don't I'm not sure where I fall on that but I find that as a pretty polarizing topic on whether the west coast is is the best or the worst in terms of following sports yeah it's uh it's tricky no doubt uh, but one thing uh, that, that we can agree on is that we're, we're very happy that the World Series is, you know, here and uh, they're going to complete it and baseball's done a good job with that. And so hopefully we can get a similar story uh, for college baseball in the College World Series next uh, next spring because, you know, seeing this all play out has, you know, kind of heightened the like, oh, yeah, there was no college baseball champion this year. That's kind of terrible. Um, you know, that, that all kind of has come back during uh, these playoffs, at least for me. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's been heightened by paying more attention to 
fall baseball. Like, like I've been, I've been going to fall practices and scrimmages and stuff for, I guess, a, about a month now, but the last couple of weeks it has heightened a little bit because I've also spent a lot more time on the phone with coaches talking about fall practice. So it's kind of gotten me back in that rhythm, which is good, but it is also a reminder that, man, it has been a really long time since we've had college games of consequence. Absolutely. Well, let's get to uh, one of those coaches who actually has completed their fall practice now, and that's uh, that's TCU and Jim Schlossnagel. They uh, finished up, uh, I guess, just this past weekend. They they completed their their uh, fall World Series there at TCU. Uh, Horn Frogs, a very interesting team as we look at twenty twenty one. They bring back the uh, almost the entire team from two thousand twenty add another top 15 recruiting class into it. And, you know, that looks like a big 12 contender right there with, uh, you know, with the likes of Texas tech and Oklahoma state uh, at the top of the conference. So very interesting team going to get into it in a minute here with Jim Schlossnagel. Uh, before we do so though, let's get a word from our sponsors keeps. As guys, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. From how it feels after getting a fresh cut to the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s we start no and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy ever wants is ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. With Keeps, you can get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments typically take between four and six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll have. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, Go to keeps.com slash baseballamerica to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash baseballamerica. All right. So with that, let's get to TCU coach Jim Schlossnickel. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by TCU coach Jim Schlossnagel. Uh, Coach, always uh, a good time to talk with you and to talk about the Frogs. Um, but before we get into the Frogs, I uh, I know you were able to attend Game 1 of the World Series. It's been a, a really thrilling World Series so far. I just wondered, uh, you know, what was the experience like with that? And, and what have you thought about the, the World Series that we've seen to this point? Yeah, Teddy. Th- yeah, Joe, th- thanks for having me on. Um, it's always exciting. I think I've been to three of the last four or four of the last five World Series. And when you attend a World Series in Wrigley Field and you attend a World Series in Fenway Park with a full stadium, uh, you know, it certainly is going to be different when you're trying to do it in a COVID era. Um, but the new stadium's amazing. Um, I think the Rangers and Major League Baseball uh, has, you know, they've really done a good job of putting it on. It's obviously pretty easy to get in and out of. And, uh, we are supposed to open our season actually in that ballpark. So I got a tour of it when it was about 40% complete. And then game one was the first time I had been in it since, uh, since it had been completed. So it was great to see that. And, uh, and the series has been awesome. You know, I mean, I, I have my own rooting interest, but I'm certainly hoping for seven games only because, um, I just want to see as much baseball as we can get. And very, 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 uh, like I'm sure you guys are in the entire baseball community, just so grateful for everybody involved with Major League Baseball for being able to put together some level of season um, so that we all get to enjoy the sport. The ending of, of game four is, is going to be the ending that we see in highlight reels for the rest of time. Have you in your coaching career been a part of a game that ended 
in a similarly crazy way to what we saw in game four of the World Series? Uh, you know, I, I don't – I mean, the closest thing to it that I can remember would be uh, how we won the Super Regional against two, Texas A&M here in 2015 when we played 16 innings and uh, we had a game, we had an inning where we had the bases loaded in the bottom of the 14th or 15th and Evan Skow hit a ball off the pitcher's chest uh, and directed, it went with one out and it went directly to the first baseman who threw the ball home. <laughs> I didn't think there was any way we were going to win the game after that happened. And then in the bottom of the 16th inning, Garrett Cranes at second base and Skow hits a ball down the third baseline that the third baseman uh, catches, but then drops it. And when he goes to pick it up, Crane uh, runs right straight through a stop sign at third base and he's going to be out. But, you know, the, the, uh, the third baseman bounced the throw and it got by the catcher. And that was the winning run of a 16 inning game three super regional. So um, that's about as close to, as, uh, as I think I've ever, ever seen to a game like that. Those were some amazing super regionals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Regional. And, and every meeting, it seems like, that you guys have with the Aggies at this point, really. Yeah, we've played some uh, super regionals like that. We played them a 15-inning game in the Minute Maid Classic. Uh, played them in the College World Series. So, uh, you know, they have a good program down there and, and a great program, I, I should say. And Coach Childress and those guys do an awesome job. So it always – just like the other hotbed areas of the country, you know, um, whether it be Texas or Cal Southern California or the Carolinas or, or Florida, you know, you're, you're in order to get to Omaha, normally you're going to have to beat uh, one of those really good teams in your region um, to get out. And so in this, in, in our specific state, uh, the games have just been, been crazy. You've uh, you've now finished up fall ball. Uh, back there at TCU, just what was it like to to get the team back out on the field and and to play together again after you know the extended uh, you know off season and the abrupt nature of the way 2020 ended? It was awesome. I mean, uh, it was super emotional for me at least because uh, uh, you know I don't I'm not a golfer. Uh, I really enjoy my job I don't consider it an occupation it's a lifestyle to me and and um, what was really miserable about the back half of you know from March 11th or 12th on throughout the summer was just not having the players around and I think everybody if they didn't already realize um, we, we all like to use the word relationships and talk about those things but I tell you what when when the most important people in this entire college athletic equation are the student athletes. And when they're not around, I mean, it's like you feel useless uh, because your job is, you know, it's just, it's just so fun. They keep you young. You, you know, really it's fun to just banter back and forth with guys and sure they frustrate you sometimes, but just the opportunity to be around them every day is what you really miss and let alone the competition itself. So um, I was a guy, uh, I'm not afraid to admit that I had gotten to the point in my career where I've always loved practice, uh, but I didn't really enjoy the games um, because of, I guess, the pressure and, and you know, what the, every single game has so much riding on it. I just had gotten to the point in my career that, which is bad, that I really didn't enjoy the games. I just wanted the games to be over with. I wanted to win them, but I just didn't enjoy them themselves. And I'll, once you have that taken away, boy, I, I tell you what, I'll never say that again. I'll never feel that again. Um, I've enjoyed every single ounce of this fall. We just finished uh, yesterday, six weeks of fall practice, and we didn't have any interruptions. We had some guys out here and there, but for the most part, we had a great inter-squad World Series, um, super competitive, and, uh, and just like you said, just to be able to be on a baseball field again, I mean, that's not, that's, that's not something I will ever allow myself nor our players uh, or staff to ever take it, take for granted again. He was off to a nice start in 2020, some really impressive series wins, Kentucky and Minnesota, Cal got to SoCal played well, a couple one run losses there, nothing to, nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, what did you learn about your team through that first month before things got canceled? Yeah. I mean, I, 
this was a, I've had a lot of really good teams here and uh, but in terms of just a fun group of guys to be around with very cohesive um, had great synergy um, just fun to be in the dugout with like a lot of true ball players, not the uh, sexiest in terms of high end, you know, draft talent necessarily, or uh, the names that you would read, you know, in, in baseball America per se, but just a lot of, just competitive ball players that bought into a system and and yeah just, just what you said to give you an example how much I loved our team we lost three of our last four games you know we were 11 and one at one point or 10 and one and then lost three of our last four all of them by well the UTA game was by two runs I think but the uh, Vandy by a run and USC by a run and we beat UCLA uh, we lost three of our last four but I felt really good about our team. And so um, I felt like it was the best defensive club we've had, uh, super competitive, balanced order through the lineup. And I, th- I thought our pitching was really uh, – had a chance to be special. And, um, you know, to have that cut short really stunk. But within a week, you know, or so, we got word that everybody was going to be able to have an extra year of eligibility and come back if they wanted to. And um, fortunately for us, they all did. So. Um, we have that same group back with some super talented young players. And I don't know what kind of season we're going to have, but I can tell you to be around these guys every single day is uh, one of the greatest joys of my coaching career. Yeah. I mean, you, you have that team back. You, you added another solid recruiting class. What, what stood out to you uh, in the fall, just seeing those guys a year older now, um, you know, did, did you see the kind of development over the summer that you normally would, or, uh, was that a lot of stuff that you guys had to work on? You know, what, what would, what did you see from this group this fall? Well, I saw two things and you know, certainly you saw just the maturity and, and the leadership of the older group that, that just continued. And my challenge to them going into the fall was, you know, we, we just can't assume you, you can't add 15 or so, or however many new players we have to the mix and expect to have the exact same team cohesion, synergy, chemistry, you know, whatever you want to call it. You, you have to start at ground zero and develop those relationships during a COVID time where you're not supposed to hang out together, whether it be in the locker room or away from the field. So the guys, A, they've done an awesome job of that. Guys like Zach Humphreys, Halen Green, Charles King, um, I mean, they're, 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 there's eight of them there, so they all do a great job. Uh, five of the eight are in their sixth year of college, which I think is an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is on a team that returns everybody that played for it last year, uh, we have some really talented young players that have absolutely forced their way into the conversation of being able to play, if it's not every day, uh, pretty close to it. And when you have a group of older guys like we have who have been around, you know, they're 24, you know, some of them 23, 24, one will be 25 during the season. And they're coming up to me after practice uh, and saying, wow, so these young guys, man, I mean, they're opening some eyes. So, um, so I'm ex- really excited about that. And, I, and I'm just hoping that we can get to play as close to 56 or more games as we'll be allowed to play in the spring because we need to be able to get these, you know, all these guys in the game and uh, our challenge, you know, barring contact tracing COVID or other type injuries, our challenge is just going to be, you know, keeping guys, keeping their egos in check and knowing that you can be a really good player in this program and not get a whole lot of opportunity. Um, and when you do, you got to be ready for it. So um super excited about both the older guys and and the young players you mentioned all that experience and you know i, I haven't done the the background research on this but I, I have a hard time imagining there's a major conference team that has more sixth year guys than <laughs> you guys have so I, i'm curious how you see that playing out in the spring and in what ways does that really become a become a difference maker for you guys because um i think it's something that we say all the time you know and we know it to be true that 
you know, being older is better and with the experience comes these positive things. But from a coach's perspective, walk us through a little bit how that stuff ends up mattering once you get to, you know, I don't know, mid-April and you're in the grind of a Big 12 season. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, you you don't want to be the team that says, yeah, we got all of our guys back, but we were 4-11 and 11 that last year. That, I mean, that's no good, right? So, you know, just just having guys back doesn't make you good. I mean, whether they're older or not, you, you want good players back. And so, I mean, almost every single one of those eight, eight seniors, and then you throw in guys like Johnny Ray, Russell Smith, um, they're all pro prospects. And I think in a normal year, uh, in a normal draft with normal free agent signings, every single one of them would have had a chance to play. And most of them did. They just you know that they weren't going to give up getting their degree or even their master's degree for a $20,000 free agent signing or, you know, 200 grand in the fifth round. So, uh, and I think they all want to know that, you know, we had a chance to do something special last year and they wanted to be a part of that again. So, that's the first thing is I don't want people to think, you know, just because you have older players back uh, doesn't, you know, that they need to be talented because we're trying to win the games. But um, the other side of that is, you know, they older players, they, they just, they've been around the block. So, so nothing phases them. Uh, if they have a bad day, it's just on to the next day. They're able to get to the middle, you know, they never get too high. I know it sounds coachy, never get too low. Um, and, but they also have a great hunger because, uh, you know, we, we still have four players, I believe, that were on our last World Series team. Um, so they, so they, they're able to relay those messages. Um, but we, a lot of those older players are guys that were signed with the intent of getting us back to Omaha. They know the standard here. Um, they know what has been accomplished, and they know what hasn't been accomplished, which is playing in a championship series in Omaha and winning a national title. So. Uh, they're very hungry. They want to be that first team that uh, finishes it out, or at least the next team that gets back to Omaha. And um, so we're, we're, we're going to lean on that. But to be honest with you, they're going to have to play well to play. Uh, there are some young guys, again, I keep going back to that. And some of them, uh, a couple of these guys that are really good young players for us, they weren't the most high profile recruits. Uh, but I think in a, whether it be this spring or in years to come, they're going to be names that you guys are going to be talking about a lot. So uh, we're, we, we are fired up for the older players uh, and their experience will carry us a long way, but they're going to have to play well. You mentioned the, the pitching there, and I actually wanted to, to zero in on that for just a second because it is an interesting group. You've got guys back. You mentioned some names with um, with Charles King and, and Russell Smith and, and Johnny Ray, a guy like Halen Green. And at the same time, you know, you've got some guys, and, and I just single these guys out because they're probably names that a lot of our listeners might recognize, guys like Riley Cornelio and, and Jacob Metter, who are going to, you know, I, I imagine at this point you kind of are looking to put them in a little bigger role given their talent. So I'm curious how you and, and Kirk are kind of working through that and what kind of competition you've had there and how you start to assess what kind of roles we're going to be talking about for this uh, kind of abundance of talented arms you have. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're, we're working through that. We've just challenged all those guys, all the ones you've named. Um, there's one that you've missed that probably is the most talented of them all. Uh, that was just literally going to be an emerging star in college baseball last spring. I'll tell you about him in a minute. Um, uh, you know, we've just challenged them, you, you know, just like we do every year you got to become the very best version of yourself, control what you can control. And then a lot of this is going to be dictated by what our, what, what does the college baseball season look like? Not just in the number of games played, but also how it's structured. So for example, you're probably starting to hear a lot about conferences talking about four game weekends. Um, so playing four games in a weekend is certainly going to either expose how deep your pitching staff is or how, or the lack of depth in it. And so for us, I'm shoot, I'm hoping we get to play five games a week because at least right now, um, I'm not saying we're, you know, we're going to be perfect. We're even going to be the best, but I like the, I like the number of pitchers that we have and how talented they are. Um, and I just want to have enough innings for them to continue to, you know, shine and help us win games and, and, and for the, especially the younger players to help them develop. So um, certainly Johnny Ray, Russell Smith, um, 
the, those 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 two guys were, were doing a great job for us last year. But uh, we have a left-handed pitcher by the name of Austin Krobe, who was just coming into his own in the, in our UCLA game there that last weekend. He pitched out of the bullpen, and we all know what kind of offensive team UCLA had last year. The high picks, the the you know, Coach Savage does an awesome job, and and he punched out eight, I think, in four innings and was really gaining confidence and was probably headed towards the rotation. And he has taken that and really run with it. Um, and so, you know, he's a guy like right now who's he, – he's going to be in our rotation for sure. Uh, whose spot he takes, I'm not sure yet. But um, Austin Krobe is a name that you're really going to start to hear a lot about. He, he, we've had some super talented left-handed pitchers here, Matt Perk, uh, Alex Young, Tyler Alexander, obviously Nick Lodolo, Brandon Finnegan, uh, and this guy might uh, this guy might be as good as all of them. And uh, so we're really excited about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're just gonna have to get those guys innings and and uh, whether it be piggyback games or or let them go with it. You know, our, our, I mean, our job's to win the ball game, so we're gonna do what we have to do to do that. But hopefully we'll get maximum number of innings uh, th- over the course of you know fifty six games. Yeah, you've mentioned the schedule, um, and you know we're about four months out from what is supposed to be opening day. What? Where are you in terms of that process? What guidance do do you still need from the NCAA or from the conference office to to go about you know shoring up? The, the schedule, not just for TCU, but, but throughout college baseball. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, I mean, I think all these things are going to be dictated conference to conference. Um, I think, uh, I think everybody is super hopeful of being able to play a, a full and normal schedule and that's what we're playing to do. Um, but for example, so many things are out of your control. So we've already seen the mountain West go to 47 games. Um, we don't have a Mountain West Conference school on our schedule, but we do have a West Coast Conference school on our schedule or a Southland Conference school on our schedule. And so um, what you don't want to do is plan on a normal schedule and then have one of those conferences maybe with, you know, less than the number of games and all of a sudden they call and cancel the trip. So there may be some proactive things that happen on the front end where conferences, you know, just say, well, we're going to go to a, 12 plus one or 13 plus one, 13 conference weekends, plus one non-conference weekend, four game series, you know, Thursday to Sunday or Friday to Sunday, just to assure themselves of games. But um, I do think we'll know something uh, within the next couple of weeks in the first couple of weeks of November. Um, and our, the, the people in the big 12 office, uh, our baseball liaison there, Jeff Jackson has been awesome, super positive and proactive and I know there's been a lot of communication from power five conferences uh, to each and, 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 and as well as the other conferences like the Americans. So um, I'm, I'm pretty positive about us being able to play 50 to 56 games. Um, what that looks like if they're all conference, if they're regional, if they're power five only, uh, I think is yet to be seen, but uh, I'm not sure how much the NCAA baseball committee is going to, you know, have a say in that, I think it's going to be more conference to conference, just like we've seen in all the other sports. So we'll wrap up here with uh, the favorite question Teddy and I asked to to all of our guests. We end on a a little bit of a fun note here. So we're going to ask you, Jim Schlossnagel, to describe your favorite sandwich. (laughs) My favorite sandwich. Yeah, it can be, you know, we've had a lot of different answers. Some people choose to kind of build their own sandwich, like describe that, which is great. Some people give us a specific sandwich at like a specific local place. Uh, So you can really go anywhere on the board here. That's some pressure, man. Uh, It is. It's the toughest question we ask, honestly. I'm a big BLT guy. So I guess it sounds pretty generic, but... uh, I guess I'm a big have... believer in that too. So I, I'm, that? I'm here for that. I'm a big believer in that too. I'm, I'm here yeah. for this answer. <laughs> yeah. I would say, you know, just some, you know, some quality uh, on wheat uh, with uh, some fresh tomatoes, lettuce, 
some big league bacon from somewhere, you know, some great farm here in Texas and uh, kind of some light mayo, maybe a little salt and pepper. And, you know, I'll just kind of roll with that. If I had to do a one B, um, I, I would have to go with some pulled pork barbecue sandwich mm. uh, with some pickles. That That's that's right there with it. One A, one B. That, yeah, that, that, that would certainly hit the spot. The thing with the, the I mean, you say it's a boring answer with BLT, but here's the thing. I mean, the BLT would not have lasted as long as it has in the world if it wasn't, wasn't a good sandwich, you know? So, I mean, yeah, yeah I, uh, I, you know, I agree with that. And I, I'm not a big fan of how people try to manipulate the BLT. Like we got the avocado BLT or the turkey right. BLT or all these other things. I mean, I'm just pretty straightforward with the generic BLT with some fresh, uh, fresh ingredients. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm with you there. <laughs> two two great sandwich choices there. Can't go wrong with either one, I would say. Outstanding. Well, Coach, we're going to look forward to seeing the Frogs out there next year. We'll, we'll see where that is exactly, but I know I'm excited to see uh, you know that team. And I, when you describe those guys, everyone that you have back, all the new players coming in, it, it's hard not to be excited to see how, uh, how 2021 will go for the Frogs. So we're, we're going to be looking forward to following you guys next spring. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I mean, I, in the coaches I talk to, I think just about 80% of the coaches I talk to are excited about their team. This is a great – it's going to be a great era, a great year of college for college baseball when you have more good players coming back to school and you have more great players coming into school. So um, that, that's what I've reminded our team. I mean, our coaching staff, our players feel really good about our team, but I think everybody does. And so the level of play I, and I think the level of pitching – uh, in college baseball this year is going to be in an all-time high. So it's going to make for a great season. And and we really appreciate what you guys do uh, at Baseball America to uh, promote our great sport. So thank you very much. Absolutely. We're, we're happy to have you here on the podcast, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next spring. Okay. Take care, guys. See ya. Thank you to TCU coach Jim Schlossnagel for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, like we said, uh, it's an interesting team. And, you know, listening to, to Coach Schlossnagel talk about it, uh, a lot to like at various, various places, you know, just the age, the amount of, of uh, arms they have that they can run out there. I don't know. I, there, there's, it's going to be an interesting team to watch as, as we move into 2021. No doubt about that. I, I wonder if it's – one of the reasons I think it's interesting is that I wonder if it's going to be a tale of two seasons – as far as TCU goes, because I really do like the group they have coming back. I, I saw them towards the end of the year when they were out in Southern California. And one of the things I liked is that uh, the offense is a, the best way I've described it is it's a grown up offense. Like nobody out there is a, in that lineup, as coach Los kind of alluded to, nobody in that lineup is like a really big, can't miss prospect. There's a lot of really nice players, but they're, they're pretty physical. They're, they're mature. They have good approaches to the plate. Um, so I like that experience back in lineup. I like that experience back on the mound. Um, the guys that, that, that we talked about with coach Lossnagel, but what I have to wonder is that a lot of their more talented guys and, and, you know, I mentioned Cornelio and, and Metter and, you know, he mentioned Krobe and, um, you know, the freshmen better than, than I do the last couple of recruiting classes, but, um, the thing about it is though, is that their more talented players are probably those underclassmen. And so I just, I wonder if it's a deal where, and this is where experience can really pay off. If you, if you roll out there with a lineup that looks a lot like it did at the end of last year and a rotation that looks, you know, kind of similar to what we saw last year with, you know, Charles King and, and Johnny Ray and Russell Smith. And by the time they kind of get going in big 12 play, they've had a little more time with the younger guys. And, and I just wonder if it's a deal where by the time they get into the teeth of not just big 12 play, but then get into the postseason if the guys that are really driving the bus for TCU aren't the guys that were driving the bus for TCU in March and before they get into, into big 12 play, because I think that's absolutely on the table for this team. And that's not, uh, I don't think that's a dig at their veteran players. I just think that that's maybe one of the benefits they'll have is they do have the benefit of giving some of these younger guys a little bit of time because they have so much experience in front of them. I know they were very excited to get Johnny Ray and Russell Smith back in the rotation and they bring an awful lot to the table, just both in terms of experience and stuff. Those are two guys who 
through 21 innings each last year, ERAs of about two and a half. They struck out 20, um, more than 20 batters each. Like those are two really good guys to have. And to have them both coming back this year is significant. Uh, and, and then you look at what a Crobe or a Canelio, um, you know, or a freshman like Cam Brown, what, what they could add into it. And, you know, I, it's, it, it has the chance to be like one of those really, really good pitching and defense TCU teams that they rode to Omaha, uh, you know, so many times over the last decade. So from that standpoint, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, I'm just kind of interested to see how it goes. You know, I didn't get a chance to see TCU last year. Uh, with them, you know, going out to California instead of going to the the Shriners College Classic like they so often do, you know, I I, I hadn't gotten a chance to see them yet, and it's uh, it, it's an interesting group offensively. You know, Porter Brown hadn't really like found his stride yet last year. They have they have a, a fair amount of depth though, and you know, if it's going to be about some mixing and matching, I think, and and just you know, Jim Schlossnagel. And, and his staff, you know, just trying to figure out what works best for this group, how, how you best line them up to, to get the most out of them offensively and defensively. And, you know, I, Bill Moziello, their hitting coach is one of the best offensive people in college baseball. Uh, you know, he's, he's very much earned that reputation over the last two decades, uh, you know, just in, in coaching longer than that even. And, you know, so I, I have no doubt that they're going to have a solid offense. I just don't know quite what it's going to look like right now. But I think because they have so much pitching, they're going to be afforded some time to kind of find that, that right offensive mix, whatever that ends up being. I think that's right. And, you know, I think that the compare, one of the things that I would draw is just in that one weekend in Southern California, I think you saw – a little bit of maybe the, 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 the benefit of the lineup they had and the limitation where they have a game against USC where they lose two to one and USC throws Kyle Hurt, who was coming on strong in 2020. And it's actually a guy I was really interested to see what, what became of him as the season went on. Cause he's always been a talented arm that just hadn't quite put it together, but he goes out there against TCU and strikes out nine and in six innings and really controls them. And, you know, TCU's offense was just kind of flat that night. But then later in the weekend, they come out and they face Jack Leiter. And it was a game I was, I was there for. And it wasn't like they really just completely bombarded Jack Leiter. But they worked a bunch of walks off him. They worked a bunch of deep counts. Jack Leiter never really seemed in control of that game. And I think that against a young pitcher like Jack Leiter, that's the kind of thing the TCU offense could do to a pitcher like that. If, if it's an inexperienced arm, if it's a pitcher that's not quite – feeling their oats that day, that was the kind of day that you could have against TCU because it, that, that was a lineup that wasn't going to, wasn't going to beat themselves, wasn't going to give up at-bats, um, was really going to make you work for it. And if you're a, a big-time arm like Kyle Hurt was that was on his game, you can beat that TCU lineup because, I, you know, it remains to be seen what kind of, um, you know, what kind of game changers they had in the order. But on the other hand, they had so much depth and they knew who they were as a team that – if you had a younger pitcher who maybe didn't have it quite all figured out or maybe just wasn't on their game that day, it was a lineup that could really hurt you because they just kind of kept coming. Um, you know, every time you, you, you know, you get past one guy, you've got to deal with, with the next guy. And um, so I think there is a little bit of a ceiling there, or at least there was in, in 2020, but I also think that the floor was pretty high just given the level of experience they already had, which will obviously be on another level in 2021. I uh, I also was very interested to hear um, from from Coach Lawsonagle about the scheduling aspect. He we didn't really get into this too much in the interview, but you know he's a vice president in the ABCA. He's involved in a lot of high level discussions about things around the sport, and you know so his optimism about playing uh, a full schedule is heartening, but I. I also think that, you know, there was an amount of, you know, okay, but here are backup plans in case this doesn't work out. And, you know, it, that, that's something that, that is going to be important because, you know, there's a lot to be decided. You know, we're four months out from opening day, a little less than four months out. There's a lot to be decided still about the schedule. Um, 
you know, when you look at the struggle that college football had putting a schedule together, you know, maybe if you're somebody in baseball, you're saying, well, okay, we're not football for a whole number of reasons, starting with the fact that because the NCAA had, controls the championship, they have a little more power over this thing. But then to watch basketball go through the struggle that they're having, as we record this, basketball season is supposed to start in a month. And just today on Monday, uh, you know, it was announced that ESPN, which was slated to host a whole bunch of early season non-conference tournaments at Disney World and, you know, at their athletic, you know, village down there in Disney, that they were having to cancel that. And that affected, I don't even know how many teams, a ton of teams had you know just had their schedules thrown into disarray a month before the season starts and you know i, I don't know it, you know, it, it's just premature to think that anybody really knows what the baseball season is going to look like what the schedule is going to look like uh just because there are so many factors that, that go into it so your know, backup plans are going to be important and it's going to be interesting to see over the next month or so uh, especially in the next couple of weeks, like, like Schlossnagel was talking about, how various conferences go about allowing, uh, you know, their teams to schedule things. Are they, you know, how many non-conference games, how many games overall are they going to allow teams to play? And so that's kind of one of the next things a lot of people in college baseball are looking to as they either wind down their fall or now that their fall is wrapped up, they're now looking to some some guidance on scheduling because that that kind of stuff they they need to have uh, a much firmer idea than they have right now pretty quickly because you know it, it feels far away now but next week it'll be November and you know pretty quickly especially when you throw the holidays into it things start rolling downhill and you know the start of January is you know, uh, typically, you know, when they're allowed to start holding preseason practices again. And, you know, that's coming very quickly. So some clarity on what the season looks like, hopefully will be coming sooner than later. That is so true, by the way, about time just starting to roll downhill once you get to Thanksgiving in terms of getting the college season here. That is so true. I mean, I, like, it's, it's, it's honestly scaring me just as I think about like preseason stuff that I have to do, that you have to do, that like we all have to do. And it's just like, oh boy, like it, it feels like we don't need to do it right now because it still says October. But like once it says November, like things, things get real. Yeah, no doubt. That is, it is crazy how that works. Though. We, the off season is so long in a normal year, and this year obviously more so. And but once you get to Thanksgiving, it's like it that the brakes just completely come off of the the car, and and we just start rumbling towards opening day. But but anyway, yes, I I am with you in in being interested to see what comes of scheduling, and and already we've we started to get a sense of that. The Mountain West has come out, and Coach Lawsonigle alluded to it. The Mountain West has come out, and you know, set a 47 game schedule with 36 of those coming in conference. And, um, you know, I, I tweeted about this earlier, like I poked around and found that, that at least on their site now, let's see if it, if this actually sticks and becomes their schedule, but Jackson state has put their schedule out and it's very conference heavy and it's, you know, 40 some odd games. And it's worth noting the SWAC typically plays a little lighter schedule as it is, but I think that's some evidence that I think, and I think this is smart is I think, um, mission one for these schools and conferences should be take care of your conference stuff first and put an emphasis on what can we do to really uh, play the most games possible. And I think that's going to be maximizing your conference games as much as I enjoy good non-conference events and non-conference series. And, and I, you know, if, I'm, if I was a betting man, I'd say we still have some of those, but to your point, I think people were feeling pretty good about the way college basketball was going last couple of weeks. It felt like, there's a lot of optimism about, hey, you know, we're going to have, it's going to be a couple weeks late, but, we're, you know, we're going to have a mostly normal non-conference uh, in terms of the big events. We're going to, what feels like kind of like a mostly normal non-conference schedule for the big programs in college basketball, where they're going to be involved in these multi-team events, as they call them, MTEs, and everybody will get these big games and we'll have the Champions Classic, and that might still be the case. Champions Classic, not part of the, the group in Orlando that's been uh, necessarily been just canceled outright, but um, but now all of a sudden we're in a very different place. And so things can change pretty quickly. And that's why I say that I think I would look for more conferences to be a little more insular and say, what can we do to 
maximize our conference games and minimize risk, of course, and part of that is maximizing conference games. I know you, Teddy, have had conversations with with coaches about what the conference or what the schedules are going to look like. I've had some of those similar conversations. And, and what I will say is that at the very least, it is nice that I have not had a conversation in a long, long time with a coach who felt pessimistic about what the season would look like. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about exactly what it will look like, but I'm just hearing a lot less pessimism in general about, I'm not sure, you know, we, we might play 30 total games and maybe some of the smaller conferences may, but among the coaches I've talked to, there's, there's just not, not as nearly as much pessimism about what could be. And so I think that is, that is good. And that portends well. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I've been waiting to kind of write, I've had this in my head for a while that, you know, there's you and I talked about me working on a story about what we do with the postseason and the selection committee and what the field of 64 looks like in a world where the schedule is really different. And we just, I've gotten some opinions from that based on theoreticals from coaches, but you know, until we actually kind of know what these schedules look like, it's, we're we're just guessing. So I've been kind of waiting to see that just so I can start to theorize about what we do from a postseason perspective. And and hopefully we, hopefully coach Lossnagel's right. And here in a couple of weeks, we start to have some dominoes falling, some big, you know, major conference dominoes falling to kind of give us an idea of what we're going to be looking at, because then you can start to piece other things together in terms of, um, you know, seeing what other teams are going to be doing based on what schedules are out and what we know about the teams that have released their schedules early. I do think it's notable just to put a bow on this, that two major college baseball coaches have come on this podcast in the last month to six weeks. I don't remember exactly when Brian O'Connor was on the podcast and mentioned four game weekends in conference play. Um, you know, that's nobody's saying it's happening yet. And, you know, it's not totally out there. Uh, you know, obviously nothing has been decided in the ACC or the Big 12 or anywhere else. Uh, but that that didn't escape my attention. And, and I think it is notable that those two coaches both brought that up independently. Um, yeah, I think I think you're probably like me and that I've heard that theorized kind of off the record and privately in conversations too. It seems like a pretty popular approach and it stands to, I mean, that's, that seems reasonable. Fewer weekends, more games. I mean, at least on its face. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe it's same number of weekends or, or whatever, whatever, right. but like then less, less importance of non-conference. You know, I, I mean, same number of conference weekends, although, you know, Schlossnagel obviously threw out the idea of, you know, maybe instead of 10, it's 12 or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I I do think that you know that's notable, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction that many conferences went, um, which in some ways is a throwback. That's that's how things used to be. Things in the Big Ten were like that not that long ago. Yeah, and you just hope like this is a conversation for you know well well down the road and for another time. But you know, there's been. Um, What's the, uh, what's it, Brian Hainline? Is that the, the guy, NCAA's medical officer? That sounds um, right. Who talked about, you know, the fact that we might see effects of, of this going as far as like 2023 or what have you. And I do hope, and I think people are motivated to do so, but um, just from a college baseball standpoint, like, um, you know, you, you just hope that this is a one or maybe a, a two-year thing for a lot of these conferences and that we get back to something approaching what we had before in, in, in a few years down the road because I, we, I, I say that because I think we had gotten to a good place in college baseball where more of the bigger programs were looking to get into some of these big time events, fewer programs in college baseball, which wasn't always the case. Fewer programs in college baseball were really looking to, to hide their team in non-conference and to just kind of hang out at home. And every once in a while a team will do it and that's fine. But like, you know, I think most teams are in the, in the habit of trying to play the best games they can in non-conference. And I, I, I thought we had arrived at a good place pre-pandemic as far as that goes. And so I hope we see a return to that. And I think we will. It's just a probably a matter of just being patient about it. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say to that is there are obviously there's a group of coaches that would say that they hope that within a couple of years, they're playing under the new model calendar. And then what does that mean for, non-conference play and I mean that's like three steps down the line and I don't have an answer to that so I don't know but you know this year hopefully we're still able to get some of these non-conference matchups 
obviously that makes uh, an NCAA tournament, uh, you know, putting a field together much easier, uh, much better. Got a lot more data that way. Uh, we'll we'll see that that is maybe the next story to to just be cognizant of that 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 it's coming is that it's about time to to start looking at schedules uh, for for 2021. So what are those going to look like? All right, Joe, our latest top 25 was, again, looking ahead at the 2021 season, trying to take a stab at projecting who would lead the nation uh, this time in stolen bases. We tackled home runs and strikeouts over the last two weeks. This time it was stolen bases, uh, giving some love to the speedsters out there. And uh, it's an interesting group. If you look at the strikeout chart, if you look especially at the, the home run chart, leaderboard from a year ago those guys are now basically all in pro baseball if you look at the strikeout leaderboard a lot of those guys are now in pro baseball the the stolen base chart was was a little more mixed um and perhaps not surprisingly a little less famous uh than the other two so i don't know it's a it's an interesting group overall you have some really big names like uh levi usher from louisville or even a luke brown or mike antico uh, but you also have some guys that, you know, even the not not the, the more dedicated college baseball observer out there might not be as familiar with some of those guys. So it was uh, it was an intriguing list to to try and piece together. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the interesting things about this, and and one of the things that makes this list hard, is that you can you can pile on the speedsters here, and you can that's kind of what you have to start with. So you, you look at who the, the guys who are known to be fast, and that's why you have a guy like Enrique Bradfield, a freshman, on this list. But you also just have to kind of look at what programs have a history of, this, of, of running because it's, you know, a pitcher is going to strike out as many hitters as his talent and the opposition will allow. A hitter will do the same with home runs. There are, I'm sure, plenty of fast guys in college baseball that have, like, a perpetual green light. But not maybe not all that many. Uh, you you kind of have to run when the situation allows you to run. Also, you can't steal second base if you have a guy clogging up the bases in front of you. So it is a lot more situational, and also a lot more based on what programs like to run. There are some programs that are just don't really like to run um, for one reason or another. There are also some that are just known for it. So you know we have two Louisville players in the top five. Part of that is because Luke Brown and Levi Usher are really fast players. It's also because Louisville likes to run. Uh, they've had a number of big stolen base totals through the years. And, uh, you know, I know for a fact from having sat in on an ABCA talk with them that, you know, that Louisville offense, which is led by uh, uh, Vrabel and Snyder, um, they want to steal 100 bases a year. And so you kind of know that's going to be their baseline there. So Louisville's in there. And Fordham is another one. Alvin Melendez uh, is in the top five for kind of that same reason. Fordham likes to run. Um, you know, Rob Datoma, who was an assistant there, is, is now at Fairleigh Dickinson. So maybe it, the approach changes a little bit, but I doubt it. I think they're probably still a lock to run a lot. So you have to look at that. And so you take some of that. You take some of the guys who are just known to be really fast. You know, I talked about Bradfield or Braden Ward at Washington is another example there. You can take a flyer for the same reason on Max Marshock at Texas Tech, just a known burner. So one of the reasons why it's fun to put this list together is because you're pulling from a lot of different buckets. With the strikeout guys, you're mostly pulling from guys with big-time stuff who are going to start games. And the home run hitters, you're pulling from big, strong guys who are going to be starters. Uh, With the stolen base guys, it's a few different buckets. You've got teams that like to run a lot, players who are really fast, you know, players with a, with a history of stealing a lot of bases and, and you're kind of mixing and matching that list together, which makes it to your point uh, more eclectic than the previous two lists, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting the last couple of weeks to kind of take this route with the top 25s. I don't know. don't know if we've, we've got a fourth one in us, but you know, to, to look ahead to the, the 2021 season through this kind of lens, um, you know, it has been prior to this week a lot about like examining who might be the the stars of, of college baseball. This was a little more specific, but you know, I, there are still a lot of stars here and a lot of really important players uh, to the teams. It, 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 to your point, you know, 
depends a lot on offensive philosophy though. And there are some teams out there that just really like to run, that that's just a big part of, of what they do in, uh, you know, in, in baseball is that they want to get on base and they want to create havoc out there. And, and, you know, you see a Fordham or a Louisville or a Texas tech. And like, that's, that's just a big part of what they do. They're always going to have players like that. And uh, it's exciting to see them come through and, you know, take to those philosophies and and, and make them their own and, and run with it in this case, literally. Yeah, I was trying to think of what like the most esoteric stat we could do this on. Like I'm, I'm scrolling through the NCAA stats here and I don't know what it would be like maybe sacrifice bunts, you know, it's like pretty, We're not doing that. pretty esoteric <laughs> stat we could do. There's some, I mean, there's some pretty, some, some, uh, some pretty specific stuff in here that, that uh, we obviously will not be doing outfield assists, outfield assists. <laughs> there's um. Yeah, if we really wanted to get like wonky with this, we will not. We will not be doing that. I, I joke. However, like if we really wanted to get in the weeds with some of this stuff, it is. Uh, it is definitely out there to be done. Absolutely, and like I think that this is a little more fun. That like we could have done ERA for pitchers, but you know, really that just kind of becomes like, okay, who do we think the twenty-five best pitchers in the country are going to be? You know, with at least with strikeouts, you got to like look at it like, okay, like who gets strikeouts, who's going to get a bunch of innings. Like there, there was a little more to it than just like, here's who we think the 25 best pitchers are for the 2021 season. Although, I mean, I guess we could just do that as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting list nonetheless, but yes, I think you're right. I think that what made these last three lists we put together interesting is just that you kind of have to think through um, you have to think a couple levels deeper than just looking at who are the most talented guys, um, you know, in a, in a given um, aspect of, of the game. And so I even on this list with the stolen bases, I, I was a little bit gun shy for a player who's, I don't know how quite to put this, but it was too good. Like I, Colton Cowers on this list from Sam Houston state. And, you know, he's the type of guy he's going to do enough offensively for them that sometimes if you have a, re- a guy who's really involved in the offense, whether he's hitting a bunch of home runs or he's just, um, you know, shows gap power and he's on base all the time, like sometimes those players don't run as much just because I think um, to some degree it's, it's the coaching staff trying to keep them fresh, trying to keep them healthy, all of that. On the other hand, he's going to be such a big part of what Sam Houston State is trying to do offensively. It's entirely possible he goes crazy and just steals a bunch of bases because he's trying to make things happen. So he's a little bit of a – of a different situation there. But for the most part, I, I almost was like a little bit hesitant to put, you know, players who were, who were too good on this list because it's, it's often not that the big name players who are for whatever reason, high on the stolen base list. And it's a specific skill. I get it. But I also think there's a, another aspect to, you know, if, if, if there's something other than steel bases you can do, like oftentimes I think that's where those players tend to shine. So I don't, I don't know quite what goes on there, but um, it was definitely a thought process I had as I, tried to put names in the list. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is just like, if you're going to be the three-hole hitter, you're probably not going to be allowed to run right. in front of the, the four-hole hitter. You right. Know? Um, whereas if you're the leadoff hitter, you just have the green light. You know, it, it might be something as simple as that. And, you know, Colin Kowser might just have a green light. They might, you know, no matter where he's hitting, but, you know, everyone, you know, there's a green light. There's a Ricky Henderson green light. And then there's a green light with like, okay, but like, this is our philosophy on you running. Like you run when you feel like it, but like also understand these other three things about the offense that like you're a part of, and that this is a part of, uh, you know, whereas if you have Ricky Henderson, you just, you say run and, and, and that happens. Um, and I, that's not as common. So yeah, I do think there's something to that. Uh, it's interesting that Levi Usher stole as many bases as he did last year. Uh, now, some of that is just Louisville's offensive philosophy. I'll be interested to see what he does this year, uh, if that gets reined in at all. Um, the construction of the Louisville offense is going to be very interesting, just when you have Luke Brown, Levi Usher, and Alex Benellis right there at the top of the order. Uh, they can do a lot of damage. So some of it is going to come down to how they want to do that damage. So definitely something to watch uh, if you're, if you're watching a Louisville Cardinal baseball game next year, or if you're just uh, thinking about their lineup. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good one. That's uh, I mean, I'm kind of knee deep in Louisville stuff right now. Cause later this week, 
uh, and I guess this is a good segue to closing the podcast. Later this week, I'll have a, I guess by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be out. The, my, my fall questions piece on Louisville and, and that, that position player group is really, really good. I mean, that, that might be the best position player group in college baseball, um, frankly. And I didn't think I'd arrive at that place, but then you look at it and you look at the talent that they have there, proven ability that a lot of them have. They've got some depth. I think it's a really interesting group of players. And for the most part, they're all good athletes. I think, you know, Usher and Brown and to a certain degree, Lucas Dunn are going to have the bulk of the stolen bases there. But I think anybody can run that lineup for the most part. It's a, it's a pretty athletic group. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very bullish on it. That's a big part of why Louisville's ranked where they are is because I really like that, that Louisville position player group. Very excited to see uh, how that how that shakes out. So yes, check out uh, the Louisville uh, fall questions piece. We've got plenty of those over on the website, uh, both online now that you can check out and that will be going up throughout this week. Uh, we'll have Michigan on tap uh, and probably a couple others later in the week as well. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the Baseball America podcast, you can do so in your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you're getting your podcasts, you can find us. And if you are so inclined to leave a five-star rating or a review, uh, we greatly appreciate those as well. Uh, We will be back here on next week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, next next week, uh, we'll have another great guest from around college baseball. We've had a lot of great guests this fall. We really appreciate everyone taking the time uh, to join us this week. That it that was TCU coach Jim Schlossnagel. So thanks again to him for joining us today. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo and Keeps. Remember, you can check out the Rapsodo National Player da- Database at rapsodo.com/slash/national-database. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you guys next week on the Baseball America College Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.